politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, our liberty, and our property. Those of you who want more than just the soap opera, we will serve it up pure red meat, unvarnished, undiluted truth. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today, Wednesday, midweek, October 26. And truly, we are at the precipice of this fight for life, liberty, and property the future of humanity, it's transhumanism versus humanism. It's not right versus left. It's not conservative versus liberal, Democrat, Republican, um, even limited government or, or bigger government. We're not even fighting for that. We're fighting for an opportunity when perhaps we could have a land and a system where we could debate, hey, do you want a little bit of a bigger government, a smaller government? What we are fighting for right now is quite literally – Things that we all agreed about until a few minutes ago, basically a few years ago. Those are the issues. On the one hand, at this precipice, we have never been at a time when so many fundamental aspects of our survival were at stake and required immediate redress. On the other hand, there's never been a greater opportunity to change the dynamics on those issues. But the biggest thing that's going to get in the way is our intro, our, our intro music, the soap opera. Republicans and conservatives focusing on the wrong points. Distractions, or even if it's an issue that is important to learn from, they'll learn the wrong things. Even if they'll come to admit that a certain issue is a problem, it's always a day late, a dollar short, lackluster, just enough to recalibrate their image to realign with history, but not really to apologize for the past and promise very specific, emphatic, immediate actions in the future. That's what we're about. While everyone talks about the next two weeks or so, um, what's going to happen in the election what we're saying is the rough contours of the election we already know, barring some unforeseeable circumstance. The question is, how are we going to prevent the train wreck of the conservative movement repeating the mistakes of, of 94, of 1980, of 2010, and to actually harness this energy in a bottle where the public is upset about a lot of the stuff going on and to direct it that limited window you have to direct those shots into that closing window so we could actually make a difference. That is my one and only agenda. So the fact that we are already under the gun, that there's a noose around our neck, that if we don't do something big on six, seven, eight issues, we're done, that you already know. We talk about that every day. I want to speak about the second and third tranches today, meaning the fact that we have an amazing opportunity to implement our agenda more than ever before. And then number three, what is standing in our way in terms of the distractions, the deflection, the misinformation, the superficiality of the top voices in Republican and conservative politics? So one thing let me, let, me, let me just note what embodies the time we're living in. 
embodies the squandered opportunity and how they're fighting over literally nothing is the Pennsylvania Senate race. Probably the biggest news on right-leaning news sites today is the debate between uh, the Pasha, the Grand Mufti, Memon Oz, and Fetterman. And the reason why it embodies the circus of American politics is because it's the perfect example of how the left does something so absurd, almost hilarious, where you have a guy that literally cannot string two words together, run as a U.S. senator, and it's, it's maddening how they would do that to a person, do that to a state, do that to the people. And all the points that are being made about Fetterman are correct. I don't disagree with them. But at the same time, because it is so absurd what they're doing, all Republicans have to do is just point to that absurdity, and it appears to be a great Gap, a dichotomy, a gulf between the two sides. I mean, look, the Democrats want to put a vegetable up there and Republicans don't. So by default, before you know anything about Oz, it naturally makes Oz look good. And even I get sucked into it. Man, you watch Fetterman like this is this is scandalous how they're able to get away with that. I hope Oz wins. But then you remember that is the only disagreement. Right? Fundamentally, on the issues... Oz agrees. I know, yeah, he finds little areas to debate about, minimum wage, whatever, but fundamentally agrees and will actually be a force of evil within the Republican Party to get them to support this stuff. Yet, it's worse than that. Because even that one issue of Fetterman having a stroke and running for Senate, why did Fetterman in his 40s have a stroke? He had a stroke because of the gene juice that Mehmet Oz to this day emphatically supports the greatest genocide in our country's history. He supports it, and he supports the next iteration. He supported boxing out people that don't follow public health uh, from society before it was cool. He said people who smoke shouldn't get jobs. That's the irony. Yes, the Democrats are evil. They're absurd. And the public even sees it embodied in Fetterman's debate. The public sees it naked in front of their eyes. You can't deny it. But we're squandering that opportunity with the distraction and with Republicans that don't plan on redressing any of our grievances. But it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. If you think about how toxic the Democrat views are, you also had a debate with um, Tudor Dixon and Gretchen Whitmer in, in Michigan for governor. And Whitmer ran away from the shutdown of schools. Oh, we, we barely shut down schools. I mean, she was one of the top lockdown governors. She ran away from it. I'm sure a lot of you saw the clip the other night with Ron DeSantis and Charlie Crist, Charlie actually did one up. He said, he tried to say, DeSantis shut down schools. He's the first governor to ever do it. Meanwhile, he did the minimal amount, and even that he agrees was stupid, but you know, everyone yelled, yelled, yelped on him. The majority of the people were for it at the time, and he took a big hit in his approval trying to oppose it, but you know, on the surface, every all 50 states at some point did something. 
So he tried to say, oh, you actually did it more than anyone in, in Florida's history. Even though Charlie, of course, supports it to this day. But it was a brilliant point to demonstrate just how much they know it's toxic. So the opportunity is un- unbounding. It is unbounding. And I will argue that conservatives never had a greater opportunity for a mandate than they do now. Now you might say, well, how could that be? They only have, they would only have the House and you know notional control of the Senate and not the White House. So how, how could you say they have more power than ever? I'll explain exactly why. I, I literally mean they would have more power than they would have controlling the presidency. But the problem is, it's going to be squandered. And the reason is because one side believes emphatically in their views, and they'll fight for them for the most part, even when they're unpopular. I guess you see with lockdowns, it's so unpopular, they're kind of running away. But in general, they fight for it. They believe. They believe in their essence of the goodness of the evil that they're perpetrating. Whereas our side won't stand behind the straight and narrow. They'll have to have some sort of parsimonious, glancing way of articulating it. Well, in this circumstance, or we shouldn't always mandate poison gene juice in these circumstances, or don't have the lovely trannies in female sports. Like, what? But that's what they, they don't believe What I'm telling you is anyone who truly believed in the veracity of their views, the sky is the limit to what you could accomplish now. The reason is this. In the past, Republicans were up against, you know, when they took over Congress after a Democrat trifecta, you still had somewhat of a popular Democrat president in office. You had Bill Clinton, you had Barack Obama. This time, you have the deadest carcass imaginable. No one wants the guy. They have to get rid of him, and they will get rid of him for the next election. But in the meantime, he's going to be president. What are they going to do? Have him step down early? You get Kamala Harris? She's even more unpopular. So the fact that you have a Democrat president who's unpopular and and, and in such an absurd way actually creates a foil. See, if you have a president like we saw with Trump or really any Republican president, they're going to immediately become a lightning rod that they could use to elicit opposition from half the country. You you have the hot potato. Here, they're going to have Congress. They're going to have most of the state governments. But ultimately, what, what does everyone focus on the president? So they're still going to be defined as having control, having responsibility, so you could work it against them. The issues they're forcing are so unpopular. So unpopular. And I want to talk about what we can do about that. First off, one thing we can do before we get to elections, politics, is in your own private life, go with parallel economies. Stop patronizing those that spy on you and those that are working with the Fourth Reich. The mobile providers in America are doing just that spying on you and working with the FBI, T-Mobile, Verizon, AT&T. Patriot Mobile, on the other hand, is America's only Christian conservative mobile phone provider, um, and they've been on the front lines fighting for our values with our people, sanctity of life, religious freedom, and Second Amendment. Um, So, you know, it's not one of these deals where, well, yeah, Daniel, they share our values, but I'm going to have to sacrifice the service. You could keep your number. 
you could switch. You're, you'll have the same coverage. It's not like you'll have blackouts or something. They use the same towers as everyone else. And moreover, typically with mobile service, you usually have to use customer service more often than with other uh, services. They actually have an American-based English-speaking uh, customer service that others do not have. So to get free activation today, go to patriotmobile.com CR or call 972-PATRIOT. Offer code CR to get that free activation. And by the way, if you are a first responder or a veteran, let them know they have a special discount for you. There is no excuse for not joining the movement today, switching from the cartel to Patriot Mobile at patriotmobile.com CR or 972-PATRIOT. So back to what is awaiting us on the other side of this election. If what all my conservative commentators are saying is true, there's going to be a big wave. The message will be unambiguous. There's nowhere to run or hide from the mandate that Republicans will have. They will have a mandate to uproot all the Fourth Reich agenda items. And let me say this. Number one, we said one number one factor why Republicans have an all-time greatest, most auspicious opportunity to implement our agenda is because they'll have all the levers of power except the presidency, with the presidency being in, embodied in the most inarticulate, unpopular, bungling fool to have ever occupied the office. But... That's number one. So it's the person. The person is right. Number two, the issues are ripe. Typically in the past, and I've said this before, what have we been fighting for? Austerity, spending cuts, things like that. You know, it's tough. People like free stuff. So the perception is that Republicans will take away your stuff, and Democrats, they're going to, oh, you need Fuel, food, medical care, here it is. Here it is. On a very superficial level, to the average voter who doesn't understand true prosperity and market forces and and where prosperity comes from, you know, Santa Claus comes to town. That's what the typical Democrat Party was. It was all about kind of free stuff, big government programs, things like that. You know, with a substantial portion of the population, it resonated, and as they created that dependency, it was self-fulfilling, and it grew on itself, and and created those those dependent classes, and and they th- that's largely why since FDR, the Democrats dominated American politics. They had control of the House, I mean, the Senate for most of the time, the House for almost all of the time until '94, and dominated three quarters of to sometimes even four fifths of the state governments. You go back in history, it's unbelievable what they dominated before before 94 and 2010 with the realignment. They dominated American politics. It was very hard to fight it. Now it's the opposite. They're promising scarcity. They're promising pandemics. They're promising the apocalypse. They're promising limited movement, restriction, breathing. Right? They're not even promising Free stuff. Like, yeah, we'll pay for cars. We'll pay. They're saying, no, you're going to do without the car and you'll be happy. You'll do without meat and eat bugs. It's so easy to fight against this. The border has become a punchline. Crime has become a punchline. Everyone knows that. The trannyism, even if you want to say that in general, the public has gotten less religious and 
more licentious, which is certainly true. But they're out way ahead of where the average person is, and certainly the average family, if not, you know, 20-year-old singles. And so that's factor number two, the issues that they're fighting for, the contours of the divide are over things that are so easy to articulate. They're so destructive, and they got to be addressed immediately, but at the same time, they're very easy to fight. And number three, and this is particularly important, precisely because Republicans have been a controlled opposition for so long, we have an opportunity for a rope-a-dope attack. What do I mean by that? Kind of a classic attack like the Battle of Cannae with Hannibal and the Romans. A fake retreat. Now, it's a real retreat because the Republicans don't believe in our values and they actually ceded that ground to the Democrats. But the Democrats were able to win territory without firing a shot. So they never actually fought for it by legitimately changing hearts and minds. It was superficial. No one opposed the tranny agenda. No one opposed the open borders agenda. And quite literally, as, as listeners to this show know, I was the only man at a federal level standing to fight the pro-criminal de-incarceration agenda that Republicans and even Trump bought into. So Democrats were never held accountable for that. So Democrats are so deep into territory that naturally they cannot hold. So if we only brought down the hammer and came out from the trees and surrounded them, they'd be annihilated politically. They cannot defend these issues. They're only able to promote them in as much as we don't give chase. We don't pursue them. So a little bit, they're doing it finally on the school shutdowns, which is kind of yesterday's issues. So they're running away. But imagine if we did this with all the evidence we have on pharma and the vaccines. You know, again, typically the Democrats won by being for the little guy. So, uh, yeah, supposedly, they weren't. But again, superficially on their messaging to the average person. And, and oh, Republicans are in bed with big pharma. I, I heard that my entire life, right? They are totally in bed with them. We could crush them on that issue. Everyone hates pharma. They let it go. Mehmet Oz is a conduit for pharma more than Fetterman or whoever would take his place or, you know, insert his voting card would. I guess in the Senate, you don't have a voting card. That's the House. But you get my point. So they're missing the point of the opportunity. If you believe in the veracity of your views, you'll fight for it even when it's unpopular because you'll make it popular because you know that you have the truth on your side. And that's an example of those of us who fought COVID fascism from day one. People are with us. The momentum's with us. You saw the um, Supreme Court, the New York Supreme Court ruling. The New York court had the most sweeping rule, not only invalidating all the New York city and state mandates, but also forcing them to reinstate the government workers they fired. And ruling that it was absurd, you know, there was no rational basis for doing it. The courts, as I always say, the courts follow politics. They don't rule on the law. They refuse to even look at us when it mattered. That's why you can't count on the courts. You have to build a political opposition before even the courts are willing to step in. 
That's, that's just a reality. And you see the momentum is on our side. We could annihilate them on the border. We could annihilate them on medical freedom. We could annihilate them on their relationship with pharma. We could crush them with transgenderism. These issues are so easy. But instead, conservative figures, they're all about their image and the talking points, not about plowing forward. Democrats, on the other hand, they actually believe. I want to give you an example of how they believe in their views. This is making its rounds on the internet. Kathy Hochul, the New York governor, in the debate with Lee Zeldin, she said, she turned to Lee Zeldin after he was giving a riff about the growing crime and the street thuggery. And she's like, I don't know why locking up criminals is so important to you. <laughs> and everyone's laughing, you know, whatever. But it's true. They actually believe that. They, 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 they literally believe that. They have no problem with street thugs beating you up. And they actually like that. It reminds me of with Whoopi Goldberg and, and Ted Cruz. They had that debate on her stupid show. And Whoopi was saying, we don't storm things and get violent when we lose elections. And Ted looked at her as like, uh, what, what happened with the Antifa riots? And she looked at him and said, what are you talking about with Antifa? What, what are Antifa riots? That's what she said. And everyone thinks, oh, she's bluffing. Yeah, she knows exactly what it is. I, I actually think she's serious. They think their violence is protected speech, and our protected speech is violence. They, they so much believe in their views that they believe that taking over streets, pulling out motorists and beating them from their cars, innocent people, burning down cities, that, yeah, that's what should happen. I mean, you're lucky we didn't round up all whites in the country altogether, you know, to atone for Floyd. That's what they believe. And then the opposite, if you merely were an eyeshot of the Capitol on January 6th, you deserve to be locked up. Yeah, of course. That's how it is. So Kathy Hogan's like, yeah, why are you into locking up criminals? Except for veterans that were merely at, at the Capitol, they, they should be locked up. It's not hypocrisy. That's what they believe. They believe murder is not a crime. But at the same time, there were Democrat politicians that wanted to create laws that would charge people with attempted murder for not wearing a mask. They believe in their evil. We have a side that doesn't believe in anything. They believe in pointing out flaws in the Democrat arguments at any given time, having a good talking point, having a certain image on social media, but never about, oh my gosh, we're about to get this power. We're about to get this leverage. What are all the things on the top 10 issues we would want to do? That's my national anthem. That's, what, that's my tour de force. That, that's what I write about. That's what I speak about. What could we be doing? What should we be doing? And th there should be a frenetic clamor from the part of our side to capture this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity where Republicans are going to acquire a tremendous amount of power on the one hand, but on the other hand, Time is of the essence. The issues are so easy to fight. Our opponents are so radical and easy to fight. Do it. And the reason why this is important is because we have to learn from the mistakes of the past. Why did all those waves fizzle? 1980, 1994, and 2010. There's several reasons. 
One reason is because we make excuses that they lack the power. Oh, and you're going to hear this a lot. That's why I'm trying to prep everyone weeks in advance. Unrealistic expectations. We don't have the presidency. We don't have 60 votes in the Senate. But what I'm telling you is, let me tell you something interesting. It's a very profound thought. (laughs) Do you know who else doesn't have it? Or won't at the time? Democrats. They're like, we always look at what we don't have. Well, okay. But they don't have 60 votes in the Senate. They won't even have 51. And they won't have the House. And you know what else they won't have? And this is what's really important that no one's going to talk about. The entire focus is going to be on Congress. But there is a very real possibility that Republicans could wind up with 31 trifectas in state government, meaning the governor, the House, and the Senate legislative chamber. 31. I'm a rough. Don't hold me to it, but around there, if you go around the map. Democrats could possibly have as little, as few, as six to nine left in the entire country. Basically, California, Hawaii, Washington State, and even then it's possible Republicans could flip um, one of the chambers there. Not necessarily, but possible. Hawaii, California, Maryland, they'll probably get, unfortunately. Um, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New Jersey, maybe Delaware. That's it. That's it. Republicans could flip the Senate in Colorado. They could flip the House in New Mexico. And now they might even get the governor there, too. Oregon, they're going to win. Now, she's a rhino, but I'm not, I'm not up to that yet. I'm just saying, in theory, if the Republican Party believed in anything the power that they have as a party, and they really, it's a real realistic possibility they could flip the Senate in Oregon too. Um, right now, Democrats have the Senate and the governorship in Minnesota. They could actually get a trifecta in Minnesota. They already have the House. If, if Put it this way. It's more likely they'll flip the Senate even if the Democrat ekes it out for governor. But if Jensen wins for governor, they'll get the Senate too. They'll get a trifecta in Minnesota. Okay, New York, New York. Either way, the Democrats will definitely have the House there. Whether they could flip the Senate, I don't know. I'm not familiar enough with that. Historically, they did have the Senate, uh, you know, there before the party collapsed. But Lee Zeldin, at least without voter fraud, does have a realistic chance of winning the governorship. That will take away one of their trifectas that they have. So they could realistically have 31 trifectas like something like 36 state legislative chambers and Democrats might only have a handful on the West Coast and the Northeast and that's it and be wiped off the map of state government even if um, that's too bullish so you knock it back a couple of levels but it's you get the point the amount of legislative power and by the way the majority of those states, Republicans will have super majorities. And, and I want to point out, too, it, it, w- what I'm including in those numbers are, so Kentucky, the, the Democrats still going to have the governorship for another year because their election is next year. Uh, Bashir will probably lose. But they, all, they have a super majority 
um, they could override the vetoes of the governor. So that is essentially, in many respects, a trifecta, at least for legislation. North Carolina, there's a very real chance. So the governorship is not on the line. It's not in cycle this time. So the Democrat will still be governor there in North Carolina. Uh, if, if they were up, they would probably lose. But it's, it's probably 80% chance Republicans will get supermajorities in both houses. So they could govern from the legislature. All the things we want to pass, they could do override his veto. It's a shame, Virginia, that the state Senate elections are on an odd year because they would get a trifecta there too. Now they have two out of three. On and on, you go on. Given the unpopularity of the issues and the people leading the Democrat Party, given how far they have overextended themselves on just the, the overkill of their policies, the destruction of their policies, to the economy, to freedom, to the quality of life. And given that the Republicans will have the House and the Senate and the states, because they matter. Because again, it's like, well, okay, you don't have the power to win out on the budget because you don't have the presidency. Okay, but Biden doesn't have Congress. So who's going to blink? Well, having the overwhelming majority of the states stand with you and implement to a large degree at a state level those policies, that will help win the media war. Now, you might laugh in my face, Daniel. Yeah, half these Republican trifectas are a bunch of rhino dirtbags, and you're not wrong. And Mitch McConnell's control of the Senate is a joke, and even Kevin McCarthy. All true, and that's my point. But let it be known, I want it to be known for all of time to lay down this marker right here, right now, that they absolutely do have the power to, to actually politically get away with more than they would having all that power with the Republican in charge of the White House. This is actually the best time to be alive politically if you're going to do something with it. Otherwise, it's the worst time to be alive because the noose is around our neck. They're taking our medicine. They're taking our health. They're taking our bodies. They're taking our brains. They're taking our privacy. They're taking our border. They're taking our culture. They're taking our, our safety on the streets. There's nothing they haven't taken from us. They're taking the innocence of our kids. If that is not stopped, that will get worse. It will absolutely get worse. They're not done. They're not done with it. What you're hearing from Republicans, what you're hearing from conservative commentators, does it give you confidence that they've learned from that mistake of the past waves, underutilizing or downright betraying the mandate of those waves? Do you have the confidence? Because I don't. So one of the things is making excuses for a lack of power. I've blown that argument up. But I'm just telling you, a lot of even like halfway conservatives are going to tell that to their constituents. I lived this for years. This is what they do. Those who didn't follow politics closely the last time Republicans controlled, this is a big, big deal. This is what they do. They're going to say, look, I, I'm with you. We should be doing this. But look, we don't have enough power. Vote for us the next time. That is thrown out the window. So what are some of the other factors that sowed the disillusion of the revolutions of GOP red waves in the past, 1980, 1994, 2010. So there's a few of them. 
I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna mention them together. And it gets back to our motto, fighting the right issues in the right way at the right time. They don't act immediately. That's number one. There's, it's never immediate. They, they spend weeks navel-gazing themselves and celebrating like Leon Lett before he reached the end zone in the 93 Super Bowl, um, dancing before you have the ball in the end zone. Oh, look at the Democrats. We defeated them. We defeated them. Rather than having a relentless plan, and really not from day one, but well before the election, of what you want to accomplish. And the reason they don't is because, again, unlike the Democrats, they don't believe in much. That's certainly the Republican establishment, but even the so-called conservatives. It's just a bunch of cheerleading. They don't have an agenda. I always tell them, if you had unlimited power right now, what are some of the things you would do? I, you, you know, I've, I'm forever articulating that. These people don't. They don't really know. They just enjoy politics as an end to itself. It's kind of bizarre. What is it you'd want to do? So you have to act immediately. You have to focus on the right issues, okay? The ones that, that, in other words, with every issue, there's two things you have to factor in. Almost like, you know, therapeutics and drugs, safety and efficacy. So risk and return. How important is it? What will it do to you, your civilization? And how hard is it to fight for it? Now, obviously, the more important it is, the more it's important to fight, even if it's politically harder to do. But certainly the issues that are amazingly important and imminent and have to be dealt with, and they're popular and you'd win with the public, you do them. And that includes almost everything we want to do. And what I mean by that is, as opposed to just having these legacy issues, the problem with the Republican Party and conservative movement is they can't do new things. So they're not like, oh my gosh, we got to ban trannyism, all the medical freedom stuff, the transhumanism, the FBI uh, the NSA surveillance, the military surveillance, the military contracts working with things that they shouldn't be doing. Not only are some of those issues foreign, but they actually fly in the face of the traditional Republican dog dogma of, oh, the FBI is amazing, the military is amazing. When they get in, they're like, well, what do we do? We got into the room. They look around, and they find familiar faces. Oh, make the Trump tax cuts permanent. Oh, entitlement spending, which they talk about and then they grow it. They don't cut it. But the point is, is it really worth trying to focus on entitlement spending? I have feelings about that. I have things that we should be doing, how to fix Medicare in a way that whatever makes more sense. But the point is, that's not the issue now. Those are the chronic ailments. Kind of like Sona has chronic diabetes. It's serious. It needs to be dealt with. But then suddenly they get pancreatic cancer, diagnosed with some brain cancer that typically does people in within four months. Well, you got to go all in on that. Moreover, I don't care so much about them because I'm no longer of the mindset that we could save America. I don't care anymore. Let them have the debt and go wallow in it. I want to break away. I want to save ourselves. So I'm going to focus, why focus on the liability? And, and look, they're out there. I mean, New Hampshire, a Democrat PAC is hitting a Republican House candidate, um, uh, you know, saying this is an ad they have. And I'm not saying they'll be successful or not, but how much longer does she expect us to work, the woman asked. So, so basically she said she, she's in favor of raising the retirement age for Social Security. And they have these women talking to each other that kind of are on the older side. How much longer... Does she expect us to work? She might not need it, but we do. 
And it's like, it's also a stupid policy. Not to get too far into that, but I don't believe in locking people into social security system and then raising the retirement age. Give them back their money and let them put it into private investments. But but this whole like raising the retirement age, I mean, it, it's not going to be popular. I'm just telling you, it's not. Um, is that really what we need to expend our capital on? I'm seeing even some Freedom Caucus guys and even Kevin McCarthy, not that he'll ever be serious about it, but just enough to become a political liability. Oh, we'll deal with entitlement spending. Really? Like, that? that's just not where it's at. You're going to take on the biggest liability for the least imminent issue. So that, that that's that's one mistake, not the right issue. The other thing is, you need specific red lines. So what leadership often does, and we talk about this all the time, is they'll indulge our issues in ways that it doesn't matter, it's too superficial, or it, we already won that part of the battle and we're on to the next thing. See, part of what people don't understand is the Democrats are always adapting. They're always looking for new ways to screw with us. Republicans will always come back to their vomit like a dog does, you know, to kind of paraphrase a quote from uh, Proverbs there. They'll always revert back to the same things they know, taxes and whatever. But that's not where it's at now. They don't taxes used to be the way they imposed tyranny. Now, now they don't need that. You have to focus on the issues. So the big thing, to the extent that there's going to be any focus on medical freedom slash COVID, it's going to be on, oh, don't shut down the schools. But like, they already won that. I mean, heck, Biden's own COVID coordinator said yesterday, there are many of us in the public health community who are arguing for in-person education. Many of us believed from relatively early in the pandemic that it was really important to have kids in school. He's lying, but you see that they're, they're literally running away from that. Now, there's things we need to codify into law to make sure this never happens again, which, by the way, I don't have confidence Republicans will push that properly even on those issues. But it's no longer about not shutting us down. It's about investigating and deterring and shutting down the entire government, military, national security, a pharma complex that's destroying our life, liberty, and property. It's shutting down the vaccine empire, the liability investigating the scope of it, compensating injury. That's, that's what needs to happen. They're out doing this for the future. The pharma fascism. How do we stop that? Preventing all these experimentations on humanity. That's the biggest pro-life issue in the history of our country at this point. Millions of lives at stake. No less than the entire universe at stake with this. There's no mention of that. They're going to kind of relitigate the most unpopular aspects of the lockdown. Now, for that, what you need is to ban emergency powers or make it that the president can't have a public health emergency for more than three to seven days or so without two-thirds of Congress approving that. But I'm not seeing anyone propose that idea. So again, it's focusing on the right issues in the way they matter at the time they matter. Don't allow them to just like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're allowed to. Like, let me give you an example of what embodies the conservative establishment, the GOP establishment, and what they do with our issues. So many of you saw yesterday that big story Ben Shapiro on his show uh, came out and basically – to a certain extent, did, did a mea culpa 
on the vaccine, but not really, if you look carefully. And you know, this is from our very own, you know, at, at The Blaze. We have a headline up. After advocating for COVID-19 vaccination for over a year, Ben Shapiro says he was deceived. We were lied to by everyone. So in the article, um, we you know compile all the different things where he not only supported it, but was extremely patronizing of people who chose not to. And it's like, you're, you're, it's your fault for dying and, and uh, stupid not to get it. All these things, very obnoxious. And then they quote from his show on Tuesday, quote, it is now perfectly clear that we were lied to and we were lied to at a very high level and from very, very early on by both the vaccine companies in terms of the ability of the vaccine to prevent transmission and by our politicians who apparently knew better Notice, didn't say the injury, the safety. That's very interesting. Um, maybe he did. I'm just looking at the quotes here. I don't think he did. It turns out that the Biden White House knew this and promoted the lie anyway. This is truly amazing stuff. And he goes on to say at the end that I'm just scrolling down the article here. We were lied to by everyone. We were lied to by the scientists. We were lied to by Pfizer. We were lied to by the government. We were lied to by the Biden administration. I don't like being lied to. So, on the one hand, it's it's welcome news. I mean, I think we should all welcome that because he has a much larger audience than me. It's officially the largest uh, uh, political podcast in America, I think, uh, certainly on the right. And that's that's great. I mean, I'd rather have someone in the tent than than out of the tent. But the, the, the thing is this, if you're truly a convert to a cause and you really mean it, and it's not just about realigning your image to comport with, with reality so you're not on the wrong side of history, there's a couple of things you would do. First of all, you would be even more zealous than anyone. You wouldn't just do a one-off mea culpa, but you would drive the narrative every day and you would begin having on all the guests that we have on your show and you would talk about the injury, talk about the need to get to, to, to get rid of liability, talk about the need to ban this in the future statutorily, budgetarily, at a state, federal level. What, what he's alleging, and he's right, is, is, is huge. It's the greatest lie of his, in, in history. But it's not about, I don't like being lied to. It's not about you. I was lied to. No, millions of people are dead and tens of millions are injured because of it. And this is just their opening salvo. They have many more. Meaning, notice what I did. I consider myself a convert. I never really had problems with vaccines. And I thought it was stupid for people not getting them. I didn't understand those people. But once my eyes were open, I didn't just take the minimalist approach just to take the Goldilocks, well, I'm for this, but just the minimal amount I need to concede. I went all in because I was like ticked off at myself. Why didn't I see this coming? And I was like, no, like I know the COVID shots are bad now. And now we need to investigate the other ones because everything we learned about, about immune imprinting and autoantibodies that, that, you know, raises very serious questions about many of the other vaccines. They're not going to be quite as bad as these shots, but that's like saying it's not as bad as hemlock, but there's still not things that likely should be pushed universally on everyone, and many of them probably should be taken off the market. And this whole empire needs to be investigated. But the problem is, even when they do this, 
It's not in full. It's not a full recognition of what happened in the past with a full resolve to plow on relentlessly in the future and demand very specific outcomes. That's what you would do if you're really bothered by it as opposed to being just like triangulating at any given moment. And this is what Republicans always do. So this is another problem. Republicans will have a long-standing position that their goal is a level two, but then it requires a level 10 and they'll grow to a level four. But that's not enough at this point. They're always, they're always going to be underwhelming. He's just one man, but, but, but very reflective of what the conservative establishment will stand for. I don't have anything against him on a personal level. I like him personally. I'm glad he, he said this. But again, a real thing would be an apology. Even I, who was on this from day one, I apologized for not getting into vaccines even before COVID. That was a mistake. I apologize for not getting in even quicker. I mean, especially for insulting a good part of his base and likely listeners. You know, you would an apology and no mention of the robust information. Start open your hearts, open your mind, and commit to understanding that maybe some of these iwi dissident right sources are maybe right on this and many other issues, and stop dismissing them. And then uh, always being a day late, a dollar short, two years too late. So now it's okay to say the shots don't really kind of work. Well, even that's well underwhelming to what it actually is and the scope of the problem. And, and let me give you another example. One of our listeners pointed me to this. DOD released just this week their report on defense spending by state. So they list how many, like where where the defense spending is by state. Virginia is the highest spending of any military of any state, and then by contractor. Which private contractors get the most money from the military? So, as you would well guess, the top five are the big five defense contractors: Lockheed is one thirty nine billion, Boeing twenty three billion, Raytheon twenty one billion, General Dynamics sixteen. And Northrop Grumman, which is based where I am, $15 billion. So that's, that's kind of a given. But what's the number six, but it's really the number one after literally the ones that freaking build the, the planes and the missiles and whatever. Technology. Pfizer. Pfizer, $13.3 billion. Humana, $7.1. And number 10 is Moderna. What does that tell you? Our military is a bigger force for transhumanism, medical experimentation, healthcare fascism, biomedical security state, than anything at HHS. Yet people of the Shapiro way of thinking of the conservative establishment, and I say this very respectfully, just as an intellectual debate, they are still stuck on the old paradigm so we, for example, we have an $849 billion defense authorization bill coming up. All the Republicans are going to vote for it. How do you vote for this? They are the biggest force for wokeism, for tyranny, whether it's global warming agenda, the transgender agenda, the gender bending, the anti-Christian persecution going on in the military, the, um, the, the healthcare fascism, the spying, the surveillance. We talked about that the other day. They're surveilling Americans' internet use. How do you just give a blank check to that 
without defund provisions. Oh, I want to be pro-military. What are you saying? you got to understand the issues of our time. You, you have to act immediately, fight the right issues in the right way at the right time, be very specific with red lines so they can't be, oh, we're against mandates. Well, But we've moved on beyond that. Or that they're stuck on their old dogma, their old way of doing things that might have worked in the 1980s, but those institutions have now been captured and need to be defeated, not grown. That's the thing. I'm the only one who's really doing this. You can't look at a 50,000-foot view of the Republican talking points. Where's his talking points? I want to look here. There's one congressman, and I'm just picking him just because I happen to see this. They're all saying this. This congressman from Texas, he, uh, he put out like a list of an agenda or something, like talking points. And again, it's something that's just so not verifiable. Congressman Byron Donalds. A Republican Congress looks like, colon, here's what it looks like. Reigning in spending, securing the southern border, enacting a parent's bill of rights, conducting oversight of the administration, governing for the people, protecting our communities. Who could disagree with a word of that? But that's how these mandates fail because they're not verifiable. They're not accountable. They're so easily manipulated by leadership. Reigning in spending. First of all, they never do it. And, and, and by the way, what they mean is the GOP will – so first they're going to give up the leverage of this fiscal year. They're just going to give it up in the lame duck, so we have to wait till the next fiscal year. They'll pass a, a budget. They'll pass a budget, and they'll have some spending cuts in it. And the, they might even defund a lot of things we don't like. But then when the deadline comes that you have to stand behind that and not agree to pass the Democrat CR, they'll cave. Okay, securing the southern border. It's not about securing the border. It's about prohibiting, criminalizing, and defunding the invasion. Meaning, it's not an asset issue. It's you have to defund and prohibit all illegal alien benefits or the ability of DHS to release or give any document or benefit to them. Anything else is actually going to be used against us. No one sees it. A parent's bill of rights. I mean, mainly this needs to be dealt with at a state level. But it's a matter of defunding. And again, two provisions. Defund and private cause of action against all trannyism and all CRT. They're not even promising to ban that. Conducting oversight. Okay, well, that's great. But which things are you going to engage in oversight? Vaccine injury? And how the government covered up the treatment of January 6th prisoners and how it was an FBI set up. It might happen, but it won't happen on its own. Not if you don't fight for it. Governing for the people. Well, I mean, that literally means nothing. That's vacuous as anything. But I would say at its basic level, that would mean making sure we have representative democracy where nothing is done executively. It's done through the legislative branch of government by the people's elected representatives. So a big part of that is, is ending all emergency powers. I would say that's, that's probably the biggest threat to self-governance is, is the problem that it's precisely the most important things that 
are done unilaterally. It's the least important things that pass Congress. Like, you know, naming buildings and post offices. That, yeah. <laughs> the executive branch will never do that unilaterally. You should know. They'll always have a congressional bill on that. But the things that actually matter that, like, our whole life depends on, our whole economy, our whole way of life, it's done in just indefinitely by executive fiat, and they don't, they're not even promising to stop that. So that's the thing. We, 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 you have to you have to nail them down on specific promises both on issues and strategies. Otherwise, it will not happen. Will not happen on its own. I will absolutely promise you that. But you have to fight the right issues. I think that that's a, that's a very important observation here. You know, you, you can't be about this like, you know, that it's still Ronald Reagan's time. Back then, those were the big issues. I wish to God we could go back to a time when just taxes and spending in an in abstract are the biggest problems. It's what you're spending the money on. They will never balance the budget. Okay, here's the reality. The amount of... You couldn't balance the budget with what we have. You would have to remake America to do it. And I'm all for that. But I'm just saying, you would never have, even, even, even if everyone in Congress were like you and me, I don't think you would ever have enough political capital to actually do that without having national divorce, which we need anyway. So why take on the liability of falling on the sword of fixing their dumpster fire? And I get it. It does affect us. It's a big part of the inflation but a big part of it, too, is the food and fuel, and that we could fix much easier. You know, it's not big-ticket items that are killing us. The surveillance, I mean, it costs money, but it's its more the policy. The surveillance, the trainism, the medical fascism, all that stuff, that needs to be defunded. But just saying you're going to go after people's programs, you know my opinion on that. No one's entitled to that, but I'm just saying it's just dumb. It's just not a smart strategy, but it, it, it's unfortunately dividing even some of the good members are, are, are already focusing on that, and it just it just doesn't make any sense. It's going to take away from the immediate things that that we all agree we have to focus on. And it's a matter of vigilance. Don't assume – here's my biggest thing – don't assume you won anything. You didn't win anything on November 8th. It's what are you going to do with it? I've said this for many years. The only advantage to Republicans winning over Democrats is the only advantage that the conservative movement never utilizes. And that is that whereas with the Democrats, there's almost not a single one that could be pressured by our campaigning, outrage, focus on policy, demands – a good number of Republicans, if nothing else, they'll be responsive to pressure, commensurate with how strongly you pressure them. So use it. Use it. Meaning, the next day we could say, oh my gosh, I'm just making up numbers here. There's 33 Republican governors, 35 states where we control both chambers of the legislature, and 3031 trifectas where we control all of it. Okay, I mean, you do, but you realize all of those governments, except for Florida, and even Florida, there's work to be done, 
there's many policies throughout each agency, Department of Health, Department of Education, up and down, that are still downright promoting bad things and bad policies, and that needs to be stopped. Are you going to call those play calls? Let me give you a great example. We've noted that, aside from Florida, all these governors, all they're like, oh, we're not going to mandate the shots on kids. Their departments of health are still recommending them for children, and no one's holding, holding them accountable. So in Texas, the Texas Department of State Health Services, they had a line there, children need all CDC recommended vaccines. So kudos to Representative Brian Harrison in the state legislature. He raised hell about it. And they actually erased, they, they modified that language. Meaning, there's a lot we can do. The last week or so, and, and the next, over the next few weeks, I'm going to try to empower. I'm not trying to dampen your spirits. I agree, there is a huge opportunity here. There is so much we can do for so many reasons. But you have to understand why we have that opportunity, how we squandered it in the past, and, 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 and the imminence, the, the urgency to go with alacrity the day after the election, but really build that now with a, a list of ideas and strategies in each state and at the federal level, what we need to be messaging, what we need to be pushing, what we need to be doing legislatively, what we need to be doing in the budget, focusing on the rules of the House, the leadership of the House. Everyone should be protesting. Why should we accept Tom Cole as the Rules Committee chairman? We could put out a list of 10 things on fundamental issues where he sides with the left. We talked about the other day. He, he agrees with the January 6th witch trials, and even expanding the funding for it, how could that man be the Rules Committee chairman that basically runs the floor of the House? Imagine if Tucker and Laura and Sean Hannity and all those people would do segments on Tom Cole, the biggest leftist imaginable, is going to have the most pivotal committee chairmanship. That cannot happen. You could create a firestorm around that. Use your influence. That's what I would do if I had that large of an audience, I do. I just don't have that much clout. Don't leave anything on the table. Don't leave anything on the table. We cannot afford to go on much longer. We cannot afford this. And, and, and again, you have to remember what is worth spending political capital on. We can make this about abortion. We can make all of the Republican tenure about abortion. But I'm just going to ask you. We know how we stand on abortion. But what is more unpopular? COVID fascism and trannyism or abortion? Abortion is more like a 50-50 issue. And it depends how you message it. depends what aspect of it. Sometimes it's more, you know, you get to late term, then it's more majority in our favor. You get... Some of the other things, especially you start getting into rape and incest, then you're going to have a supermajority you know, that, that really doesn't want to regulate that. But at the end of the day, that's more unpopular. And now in terms of what's more important, nobody who goes into an abortion clinic to get an abortion, especially in this day and age with all the sonograms and technology, doesn't know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. Whereas with the medical fascism, we have a crisis. People don't know. We have all these vaccines coming out. We have the ones in the past. I myself don't know what to do. I have four kids. You can't even find a, you cannot find a pediatrician. 
Which one should I avoid at all costs? Which one should I fight? What, what, what do I do? People are asking me that. I don't know the answer. We, we need a commission on that. And then the trannyism, while you have to opt to cut your balls off, kind of like an abortion, it is similar in that respect, but the grooming is happening everywhere. And that does affect your kids. Abortion doesn't really affect your kids. You're not aborting them. Again, I'm not advocating that I'm for it. I'm just saying to go all out on that issue, to expend all your things on the things that's not affecting, killing us imminently, and it's not a new issue, and it's, it's, it's not as popular, and then ignoring the stuff that would be very popular and does affect us. The grooming is a big problem. It creates so much confusion in the world. And you raise kids, you could get roped into that. I mean, obviously, you shouldn't send to public school. But but still, I mean, it's many, many other places. Many, many other places. Man, I didn't even get to any of my COVID stack. All the news on data and injury and, you know, everything going on on that front. And what to think about it. Oh, my gosh, there's just so much, so much there. But, folks, I hope this was helpful just to give that perspective. Stay focused. Create specific demands. You know, we have to, we have to box them in so they can't wiggle around. Oh, we're, we're, we're doing stuff for parental rights. Or uh, this is the best we can do. We don't have control. Don't have too high expectations. Lower the bar. No. I'm here to say there will be nowhere to run and nowhere to hide from the election mandate that they will get, even at the lowest estimates of what they'll get. That doesn't matter. What matters now, the seats, is it 30 seats? Is it 40? Is it three Senate seats, two, four? It it doesn't matter. What are you going to do with it? What are we going to demand? And what are we going to accept? Are we going to continue with this low expectation nonsense or not? So that's about it today, folks. Tomorrow, we actually are going to do a horse race show. Probably the only one we're going to have Robert Cahaley on to talk about. And and to me, it's not so much the up and down, who's up, who's down, because like I said, we'll find out. I'm more concerned post-election with what we're going to do with it and what the election means. But I do want to hear from him in terms of the pulse of the voters, what he thinks the voters are whether we like it or not, what what are they hearing? What are they concerned about? What sort of message is getting across to them? Uh, so we'll have him on as a pollster to talk about that. Let me know your questions. You can email me, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.